1: Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. That everyone is smart.
2: So you're Al Myers,
0: kid? Yes, I am. You look pretty stupid to me. Thank you.
1: You say the best steal in town just ran off with your girlfriend? Even your younger brother does better than you do? (laughs) And that nobody even cares? That broke up with me. Oh, that's nice. Well, you might be right. Oh. But remember one thing. I haven't even been to New York City. Nobody was ever oh. better off
0: dead. The truth is, I can outski you any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to race? I'll take you on any
2: day, sucker. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. Oh. All
1: you need is guts.
2: All right! Now turn!
1: I'm gonna
0: race, I'm gonna lose, and I'm gonna die in that order. Go! And you'll never
1: doubt yourself again. He's skiing on one ski! Better off death. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that.
0: Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and welcome to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Here we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s flick flashback on apple Podcasts, spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and while you're there leave us a stellar written review and a five star rating you can also support the show by following us on our social media pages just search for 80s flick flashback on facebook instagram and twitter and go ahead and check out our website 80sflickflashback.com, for more great 80s content now Let's jump right into this episode. Thanks for listening. While some critics failed it from the outset, this 80s flick is actually a notch more upscale than most of its fellow D-grade locker room comedies of the era. It's gained a cult reputation for its overall cynical tone, its clever gags, and its zany blend of animation and live action. A teen comedy that refused to take itself too seriously, even if the subject matter should have been. So unwrap those frozen dinners you got for Christmas, load up your snow skis in the family station wagon, and for God's sake, pay that paperboy his $2, as Nicholas Pepin and I discuss Better Off Dead from 1985 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback. Well, welcome in, everybody. Glad to have you back for a new episode. We're continuing in 2022 with another fun one uh, set at winter time, Not quite a Christmas movie, even though there is a scene at Christmas, but it's definitely a winter favorite, Better Off Dead from 1985. And I've got my good friend, Mr. Nicholas Pepin, returning for his second time on the podcast from Pop Culture Roulette. What's going on, Nicholas?
2: How's it going, Tim? Oh, man, I got to say, I, I, I know I think I specifically requested this one, but man, <laughs> I, love it. I love this movie. I I mean I it's been one of my favorites for a long time.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's kind of an unsung hero. It's one that I think people forget about until you start like I think I know the quotes more than I know the movie or there are certain scenes that I'll think about and not necessarily remember what it's from but know that I it's it's so ingrained in my in my psyche.
2: Yeah, when I was when I was taking my notes, I was watching the movie. I realized because I knew there were certain questions you're about to ask me. So I was like, (laughs) "Okay, I'm going to write that." And I was like, I'm literally just writing everything from the movie. All right.
0: Let's. (laughs) Right, right. Well, before we jump too far in, I will say I'm getting over covid. So I'm going to apologize ahead of time if I have any uncontrollable coughs or clearing my throat. Uh, I'll try my best to edit out as much as I can, but in case any slip in. It's okay, you're safe. Uh the covid is on this side of the microphone. Now actually I'm over it now, but uh but you're you're safe uh on your end. So
2: yeah, last I heard it could not be transmitted digitally.
0: Okay, well that's good.
2: That's good. The CDC has is doing their job.
0: Are doing their job. All right. Well, here we go. You know the deal. When did you see Better Off Dead for the very first time?
2: My guess is that I probably saw it on on TV. In the late 80s, like when it mm-hmm. when it would have been, you know, shown on a Saturday afternoon or something like that. Cause
0: right, right.
2: In 85, I would have been seven. So there's little chance that my parents would have taken <laughs> me to see this movie. It was um, PG, so it wasn't like terrible. No. And I mean, and overall, there's really nothing objectionable. in no, the movie. not really. Um, I mean, there's one scene that I guess, depending on the age of the child, might be a little bit. Eh, but yeah, yeah. But for the most part, it's, it's, um, but I, so I feel like it was one that they probably let me watch on TV, you know, whenever it got around to just airing on regular, you know, mm-hmm. access TV. Mm-hmm. So I I don't remember exactly when I seen it for the first time, but I know sometime in late high school, early college, definitely late college. I hit a John Cusack phase where like, I had to see everything that he was in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, because high fidelity, and you know, we'll never get to it with the '80s flick, but high fidelity right, is right. one of my all-time favorites.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
2: Um, so definitely, I probably rewatched it then, mm-hmm. and um, there are parts of it that really speak to me in a way that probably is uncomfortable, but you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. We'll maybe we'll dive a little bit into that as we go.
2: Yeah. <clears throat>
1: But yeah,
0: yeah, for me, I did not see this in the theater. This is one of those movies, like I said, it kind of creeps up on you because when people will say better off that, I'll be like, yeah, I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that before, but I don't think I've I always think I haven't seen it as many times as I think I have until I start watching it. And then I'm like, man, I know this movie backwards and forwards. I had to have seen this movie a thousand times. It just didn't it didn't land with me, maybe the same as other movies at the time. But I was a big like you. I was a big John Cusack fan even during the eighties. Cause I mean, I remember seeing uh, the sure thing I'm a big fan of one crazy summer, which is, you know, kind of some would call it kind of a Soto sequel to this one. Cause same director, same writer. Right. Um, so I'm always like, I'm more one crazy summer than better off dead. Like I like it a little bit more only because I, I know I've seen that one so many more times. And that one I know I like saw on cable, where we just run repeatedly on cable over the summer, excuse me, this is one I probably rented and watched a couple of times, but I had uh, a girl I was dating in college uh, (laughs) or before college and during beginning of college. Um, This was one of her favorites. And so her and her brother would do the quotes from the movie all the time. And so I probably saw it several times with her uh, watching it over and over again, but, uh, but yeah, still a good one.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a movie that I – I mean, every time somebody says $2, even <laughs> under my breath, I will say, I want my $2. Right,
0: right, right. Anytime we go to like for a French place and it's like, we have French dressing. <laughs> we have French fries. So uh, that always makes me laugh.
2: And I've never really had a good reason to bring it up, but I often quote, it's a shame when they start throwing away perfectly good whiteboards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, so when was the last time you saw before we were watching it for the podcast? Last wow. week last month? <laughs>
2: I mean, I watched it uh, like a, after I told you I wanted to do it, I went downstairs and I got it from my DVD collection and I watched it again. right. Um, which made me realize I hadn't seen it in a while, mm-hmm. even though I know it because I mean I like you said, like I know it frontwards and back, there wasn't there was nothing that caught me off guard. There were a couple of scenes where I was like, "It, it, you know." Now that I hadn't seen it in so long, and I'm a little mm-hmm. older, it kind of you wrong, know, kind of a little different, but I, oh I, yeah, know, yeah. I remember all of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it had been a little while since I I had watched it, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and then I watched it again a couple of nights ago just to make sure I was I was good to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the last time I watched it all the way through. Uh, I know I've seen like bits and pieces. I've seen memes, you know, or like little clips and stuff in the '80s, you know, uh, Facebook groups, social media groups that I'm a part of. Uh, but it's probably been at least a good, at least ten years since I watched it. Maybe longer than that. So it was good to go back and watch it again. And I, and actually, I, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to because, like I said, I've always been more of a one crazy summer person. Right. But, I, but going back and watching this one, I'm like, this one is really just as good just as funny um and for for different reasons it's, it's not a they're, it, they're not duplicating the same movie there's it's the same type of humor but they're not trying to retell the same jokes they both have their own kind of personality and uh so i i enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot
2: yeah well i mean there there were parts of it like the part at the beginning uh, when you know you sit, when you see Lane like waking up and like he's got all the pictures of yeah. Beth, yeah, mm-hmm. Beth, yeah, Beth, yeah. That struck me a little different this time. Around. Excuse me. Like I, I guess maybe I, I, I mean, I remembered it, but like this time I was like, that's a little over the line. Like a little, <laughs> a little more stalkery. Maybe it's just you know, like you know, you're a little um, older I'm, I'm a little and wiser older now. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, they're, they're, like I said, there are parts of the movie, like, I feel like this movie for me relates in ways because, like, I feel like, you know, I remember being in high school and college and, like, pining for the one girl I couldn't have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never took it to the level that he, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and like, and, and the part that really struck me is when the dad goes, they've been dating for six months. It's like, mm-hmm. when did he have time to make all of that stuff? <laughs>
0: But still, man, hey, look, you got to think about it, especially like in high school. Six months is a long time. I mean, that's right. that would be considered a very serious relationship
2: in I mean, high school was, in high school years in high school. But I feel like as a, if I was a parent, if I walked into my kid's room and every oh, one yeah. of his binders had a picture of, of his girlfriend, I, I'd i be like, we need to go see a counselor because <laughs> there might be something wrong with you. Right,
0: right. We, we definitely need to have a we need to have a quick chat father to son and talk about priorities and, and, and life in general. Yeah. And then, and then go from there for sure.
2: But, you know, the concern about the car, you know, stocking stalk, uh, the driveway and the cover mm-hmm. obviously every bit is important.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's all he cared about. Cause he paid him, he gave him $200 to buy that car,
2: which is not much for a Camaro. No, really.
0: Come on, man. That was a steal. Even in 85, that was still a steal. Yeah. But I guess and if it wasn't was, running, it's still, it was still a work in progress.
2: Yeah. But I never had a French foreign exchange student across the street that was oddly a car mechanic as well. So Yeah,
0: yeah. He definitely had things going in the right direction and without realizing it. So, yeah, I never had a – well, number one, I never had a female French exchange student across the street uh, who was actually pretty good looking, uh, much less a mechanic.
2: Right. Did you – were you – Were you ever involved with the foreign exchange student programs?
0: I wasn't. There was one uh, in in high school. We had uh, one of my classmates. uh, He, I don't know if it was a, I don't remember if it was a foreign exchange student, but he was from, uh, I don't remember if it was El Salvador or Colombia somewhere. It was like South America. Um, And I remember like English being his second language. And for the high school I went to, that was pretty rare. It was a fairly, you know, all Caucasian high school that I went to when I was there. The high school I graduated from because I was in a high, that's a long story. Anyway, I did half high school, one state, another half high school in a different state. But anyway, uh, so I remember that. But then we did have like through um, and this was after high school. But we had a group of students come over from Japan and we had one of them live with us for like it was during the summer. I think it was for like four. I don't know if it was for a full two months or just one month, but it was for several weeks and got to hang out with him. And that was really cool.
2: Yeah. When, when I was in elementary school for three years, we did a a foreign exchange student. His name was Jan from Norway. Okay. And then a girl from Germany, Rika, and then another boy from Norway named Nils. And that was like, fourth fifth and sixth grade
1: wow and, and, and you then rem- my parents you remember their names I'm, that's
2: better than i could ever do no <laughs> well, i mean it was i mean it was pretty impactful i mean oh i actually, am sure yeah and actually uh, Jan and i are, are friends on facebook and oh that's very cool i can't find the other two um yeah. when when we were a little older my parents were like yeah we're we're not we're just going to focus on on getting you through high school rather than try to get someone <laughs> else through high school but it, yeah it, like they like part of the ability for them to come over was they had to speak pretty good English to begin with, right? So right. That, so that part of the movie was a little bit like. I mean, I obviously she she spoke perfect English, right? And she was right. Only doing it, so she didn't have to talk to Ricky, exactly. Um, but but yeah, that so that part was a little bit like. Oh well, you know. Uh. Yeah. And now these messages. Huh. <sighs> What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues, I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sunny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need. Condensed, unfiltered, and raw from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about the storage and pre-production, because we're going to find out how much was based on reality and how much was not but it seems like a lot was based on reality. So I, did you do some research this time?
2: Um, not on that part of it. I mean, oh, there's okay. some things I did research, but yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Well, just uh, chime in if you need to, if I, if I missed something or if you read something different anywhere along okay. the way. So uh, if you would have said the name to me, Savage Steve Holland, my first thought would be professional wrestler. Gotta be, you know, not animation or writer, director of feature films, but, this is who we're talking about
2: yeah that that really that part stuck out to me because i hadn't obviously paid attention to the director and seen it so long i was like yeah he calls himself savage Savage Steve. (laughs) all right hey man that's that's what you want to do but right
0: right savage steve holland who animated the pressure luck whammy wrote and directed better off dead and one crazy summer and also directed How I Got Into College in the 90s before quitting teen movies to pursue directing, writing, and producing children's TV programs. In the early 1980s, Holland's short film, My 11-Year-Old Birthday Party, played at the Los Angeles Film Festival. The Fonz himself, Henry Winkler, saw the film and took a liking to Holland. He said, Henry took me to lunch and he said that my movie was so funny. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. It wasn't supposed to be funny. It's a sad story about my life. So... So Winkler asked if I had any more sad stories about my life. And I'm like, of course I do. So Winkler set Holland up at his paramount office. So Holland could write the script, even though Henry Winkler's production company did not end up making better off dead. They did hook Holland up with John Cusack and help get the screenplay out into a robust seller's market. Eventually producer Michael Jaffe or Jaffe, Jaffe, I don't know, took the bait. Some aspects of the movie changed only after it went into production. Holland's original concept of the Lane character was a high school Woody Allen type nebbish, more like himself. So because of the success of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, studios were hungry for teen movies. In an interview with L.A. Weekly, Holland said the studio Warner Brothers trusted him. He said, I would never get that movie made these days, but I just wanted to put in everything I knew about filmmaking, cartoons, claymation, everything, because I figured I'd have one chance at it. Today, the comedy police would probably stop me. When the movie came out, it wasn't a success. Holland said he, he was actually put in what he called film jail. <laughs> but the movie is the most autobiographical movie he's ever made. It's just exaggerated, he said. His high school girlfriend actually did dump him for the captain of the ski, of the ski team. He said, it was very heartbreaking. and I did think about committing suicide. I did the stupidest thing, which made me kind of write the movie. I stood on a plastic garbage can with an extension cord around my neck going, maybe I shouldn't do this. This might be the worst idea ever. And then the garbage can lid caved in the pipe that I had my little neck thing on broke and it started to pour water into the garbage can that I was stuck in. So I was basically drowning in the garbage can. Then my mom came out and yelled at me for breaking a pipe. First of all, I was very grateful that the pipe broke and that everything worked out. But I thought of stupid ways that people try to kill themselves. And I was like, wow. Life is really just short. It was a big lesson to me. Nothing's really that serious. End of his quote. One of the reasons why this movie probably would not get made today (laughs) is the overall concept is that he's trying to commit suicide, which is not a funny subject. And we'll say that up front that we're not uh, proponents of suicide. And if you ever feel those thought, have those thoughts or feelings, please get help. You you need to be in this world. People love you. People will will accept you. Keep fighting for another day.
2: I 110% agree. I mean, as somebody who has struggled with his own mental health demons in, in his life. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can appreciate the humor because it is so absurd. Right, like, right. Part of what makes me relate to this movie is that, like, I can see myself in the lane character because I've I've been... Not necessarily to the level of obsessed that he was, right? Right. And, you know, I've, I've been there, mm-hmm. but I mean, they—the director, you know, good old Savage Steve, like <laughs> kicked it up, could, kicked it up just a notch enough to make right. it like ridiculous. So, like, yes,
0: yes, you
2: because know, like I definitely see the the Fast Times at Ridgemont High influence,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but
2: that movie, even though it's got some funny parts in it, is way serious compared yes. to this.
0: Yes, exactly
2: Because um, I'm not even sure they could remake Fast Times at Ridgemont High In today's mm-hmm. world um,
0: Probably not Probably um,
2: Not
0: <clears throat> Not without but, a lot of rewrites And a lot of, yeah. lot of changes
2: But yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes this movie work In the way that it works Is that it does take I mean, even if you've never dealt with that There's enough other situations yeah, From yeah. the real world that you've dealt with Like, I was never part of a ski team I didn't no. grow up in an area where skiing was a thing Exactly, exactly you know, skiing wasn't exactly something you could do in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's still not. <laughs> no. Um, but I mean, the one part that about the movie, and I'm sure we'll skip around all over the place, but oh, yeah, what yeah. part of California were they in? That like when they weren't yeah. at the mountain, <laughs> it was like bright, sunny, like looked warm, like super green, and then like they were just like, Oh, we're gonna go up, and they were just right there on a right,
0: right? Like snow covered mountain, like <laughs> I know they filmed like they filmed the neighborhood stuff like everything was filmed in Los Angeles, which is why, of course, it's so warm. And they're all in like shorts and T-shirts through most of the movie. Uh, but all of the snow scenes were shot in Utah. So it wasn't even like they went to the mountains of California, which I know there are parts of California where, you know, you can go in the mountains and be snow. And then you you know go back down to like the city and it's kind of warm. But I don't know if it's that drastic as what we're seeing.
2: Yeah, I mean that that part really struck out. Stuck out to me because I was like, I mean, I lived in California for a couple months once, but it mm-hmm. was, I mean, yeah, know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, it, I mean, you you try not in most movies you just try not to think about the little stuff because yeah, yeah, then you get thrown off. But
0: yeah, but like you said, I mean, this is it's it's very satirical. It's very cynical. It's not a it's it's not meant to be taken at face value and he and we'll get to like some of the the deleted scenes where he really like went even more you know goofy and wacky and they're like you know you're taking it too far but he was really kind of throwing everything in it even he made a comment about um that a lot of the stuff in the movie was to be parodying what other teen movies were doing at the time like he he wanted to make fun of the quote-unquote teen movie not just make a teen movie and so that's why you know, uh, certain characters and certain situations that he was in uh, outside of the, you know, the, the suicide kind of overall overall plot were we all like jabs at other overly done tropes in teen movies, which I think was completely true, which is why yeah. they're even more funny now, especially because you've seen so many more that have been done
2: over and over again, even now. Yeah. And the one thing I did notice, though, is that uh, John Cusack was 19 when he did the movie, Mm -hmm. which means he was one of the rare people who was actually a teenager. (laughs) Right. Teenage movie. Right. Unlike, unlike, say, Curtis Armstrong
0: (laughs) was easily 35. (laughs) (laughs) But he did say he'd been in high school for seven years. So, I mean, it did. It did kind of fit a little bit.
2: All right. Yeah. Good point. I've been here seven and a half years.
0: (laughs) All right. So other uh, parts that were true to Steve Savage's life, he said his mom would get McCall's magazine and she would find these recipes and make these things and have some excuse why they didn't taste good because she forgot something or she didn't have an ingredient. (laughs) One year for his birthday, she was like, I got you these really cool frozen dinners because you like the peach cobbler in this one or something. And he was like, wow, really? This is my life. Uh, which I think is fantastic that 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 came from real life makes and that see, even better.
2: And see, that's the part that I was like, this has to be the exaggerated part. But that's the real part. That's like, the real him, part. I love when he's when the father's unwrapping the presents. Yeah. and like he just goes, Oh, and he puts it over and there's just a stack. Oh, stack. Of them.
0: Yeah. And my question was, were they still frozen under the yeah. tree or were they thawed out and she was going to freeze them again?
2: I don't know. I mean, the fact that she somehow managed to boil bacon and turn it green.
0: Oh, gosh, that food. I can't I don't know how his dad was the weight he was. He was eating. He was he was eating really good when he left the house. Obviously,
2: a lot of, a lot of stops at uh, McDonald's on the yeah, way home.
0: Got to be. Got to be. Got to be. All right. Well, let's <laughs> let's talk about the paper boy, which was also real. He's uh Steve Savage said I would come home from school and this kid would sit on the lawn across the street and he would see me there. And it was probably like actually four dollars that he wanted. I would say, hey, man, my mom's not home. I'm a kid. I don't have any money. And he'd sit on the lawn for about 20 more minutes, then come over and say, all right, I'm ready for my four dollars. And it would go on and on and on. <laughs>
2: what what was in those papers that he could throw them from the street and they were right. break? Glass.
0: I just think that was like the cheapest glass you could possibly get because they did break very easily.
2: (laughs) It just, like, I was just like, man, like, I don't, well, because back when, you know, people actually used to get the newspaper, Mm -hmm. like, I remember always just having to walk to the end of the driveway and pick it up because,
0: yeah, yeah,
2: like, whatever it was that would drive by at four o'clock in the morning would just like drop it out the window. Yeah. No, maybe maybe it was raining, they'd toss it a little bit up so it wasn't like in the gutter, but. Mm
0: Yeah, my dad, not everywhere we live, but several places where we lived, because my dad was military, so moved around a lot. He would typically get the paper. If not every day, he would get the weekend edition for the Sunday paper. I'd never, I don't ever remember seeing the paper on our front on like our front porch. It was always, like you said, the end of the driveway or maybe halfway up the driveway on a good day, which was always horrible if it was like raining and they would yeah. like try to double like put two bags over it to keep it wet but there was always one corner that still got soaked
2: oh yeah well let's see if memory serves my parents house in the dc area they had that little extra mailbox under oh, the mailbox oh yeah
0: oh yeah i remember those so, yeah
2: so at least it, if it was raining like most of it would be dry <laughs> You'd still get the ends but
0: right right cuz i delivered papers for a little while i think i think ron and i talked about this on one of the other podcasts about being a paper boy or maybe that was just one of our side conversations we've had. But if you rolled them tight enough, like we used to try to roll the papers as tight as we could, and then put like extra bands on them so we could fit more in the bag if we had like a big route. So those could be pretty sturdy and pretty, pretty hefty.
2: Yeah, but I mean that that that's a a pretty strong on paper boy. I'd want would be yeah. looking to sign him up as the QB for the the team <laughs> if he could ride in a bike hit the hit the window.
0: Right, right. So another part inspired by real events, Steve Savage did have a fr- did have a friend in high school who was cursed, quote unquote, with a voice like Howard Cosell. Savage's friend was not Asian though, but he did love actor Yuji Okamoto when he met him. And he said, I'm gonna make you the Howard Cosell guy. And he re-wrote, rewrote the part for him. And then he, you know, of course, uh Okamoto ended up also in Karate Kid Part Two and the current seasons of Cobra Kai
2: so he was chosen
0: yes that was chosen
2: oh okay that you know I thought you know I maybe did look that up but I forgot already the second <laughs> time I watched it I was like that guy looked so familiar yep
0: yep that was him his two his two major major film roles were 85 with uh Better Off Dead and then 86 yeah 86 was uh, the following year it was Karate Kid Part 2 so what was not autobiographical was he never ended up sitting on the hood of his car with a girl on home plate at Dodger Stadium. It was a great end of the movie, though. He said that part might may not be true, but filming it was cool because he got to ride in a helicopter inside Dodger Stadium. As a promo for the movie, Diane Franklin, who played Monique, had her manager contact the stadium to see if they'd be interested in having her do an autograph signing. She thought it would be cool for and fun for people because if they saw the movie and she was at Dodger Stadium, it would be a fun venue for everyone to come and see her there. The ballpark said no to a signing, but asked her to sing the national anthem, which I thought was interesting. She said she thought it was unusual because when they introduced her, she thought they were going to say, here's Diane Franklin from Better Off Dead or here's Diane Franklin from Bill and Ted or something. And they just went on saying, here's Diane Franklin. And she's thinking, who knows who Diane Franklin is? Nobody knows who I am.
2: <laughs> I yeah. guess they were, they were
0: hard up for people to sing the national anthem for games then.
2: Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, you do eighty-one home games a year. Yeah. You know, you're you're bound. You need like essentially eighty-one different people to do a national anthem anytime. There's remotely a famous person who's like, hey, you. They're probably like, sure, come on.
0: Yeah, we'll yeah. Sing. Can you sing? Don't do worry about it. We'll we'll figure it out. Let's come on in. Let's come on in.
2: <laughs> it doesn't matter. We let Roseanne do it once. <laughs> oh
0: gosh. Eighties memories. I like to forget, or maybe that was nineties.
2: <laughs> I don't remember. Either uh, way. It it would have been early 90s. Early I know 90s, I, yeah. Early 90s, late 80s, one of those two. But yeah. yeah.
0: All right, well, let's jump into casting. I'm not going to go over everybody in this movie, uh, but I'll hit some of the highlights. Uh, let me know if I forget anybody or anybody you want to mention as we get going. So, of course, we can't talk about Better Off Dead without talking about John Cusack as Lane Meyer. As we said, Henry Winkler uh, was instrumental. Winkler had just made the sure thing with John Cusack and showed it to savage savage thought my god this kid is great he couldn't see anybody past john cusack he had a little bit of a scuffle with some of the studio people because john had just been in 16 candles playing kind of a nerd and they were like this is not a leading man <laughs> but savage was like yes he is he, because they hadn't seen the sure thing yet he was like you don't even know what you're getting right now you're going to be so ahead of the curve to get cusack now he said he really went to the bat for him and they let him have him he still thinks it's the best thing that ever happened to the, to him and the movie being able to cast John Cusack. Nobody else could have pulled that off. He said, and I agree. I think that was, he was perfect for the role.
2: Put almost anybody else in that role. I wonder if this is even a movie that we're talking about. Cause it True. just gets forgotten about in the annals yeah. of time.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of other eighties teen comedies because there's not a good leading leading man or leading character that gets forgotten because it's just the gags and not the character. One thing that I read that I did not, was not aware of, and I didn't, I saw it in one place. I didn't see it in multiple places. So this is, this could just totally be hearsay, but supposedly Cusack took this role only because he did not get the role of Marty McFly in back to the future that he was in the running for back to the future. And when he didn't get the role, he decided to do this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love Cusack, but I don't think I, I see him doing what Michael J. Fox did. No.
0: Well, at that point, it was him up against Eric Stoltz. Wow. So, yeah, because Fox wasn't even, you know, he would he he was ungettable right. at that point.
2: I mean, I'm sure you said we'll do that eventually, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. But yeah, no, I just I don't know if Back to the Future is the same with that, but you know. You're right. I mean, John Cusack is who he is. I mean, yes. Yeah.
0: It's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, he went on to make tons of other great 80s movies. He's still acting, I guess, somewhat today. He's not as not as big now, but he was he def- definitely had his heyday in the 80s, definitely in the early 90s or early to mid 90s.
2: I, I think he's a lot more picky nowadays than yeah. he was. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he had that stretch. In in the mid to late '90s and even the early 2000s, where he just because he went from he was trying. To, I think he also got tired of doing like the big the big budget blockbusters. Yeah, he did. On yeah, air in 2012. Yeah, so I think he did more of the because when I, I used to follow him on Twitter and and he he just he thinks of himself as an artiste.
0: Yeah, I think I remember reading that.
2: So I think he's trying to do a lot more of the, the independent uh, mm-hmm. you know, the art house films.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, every
2: so often he'll show up in a weird like Bruce Millis straight to Netflix. movie. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, he's got to pay the bills still.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Then we've got David Ogden Steers as Al Meyer, Lane's dad. Of course, David Ogden Steers will most finally be remembered as the pompous, ever so articulate Major Charles Emerson Winchester III on MASH. Yep. Don't have much to add. He was great in that. I also liked him in Doc Hollywood. If that's another, that's not yeah. an '80s movie, but one of my favorite uh, Michael. Yeah. Talking about Michael J. Fox, one of my favorite Michael J. Fox movies from the '90s. Yeah, was,
2: I had to I had to look him up because the name rung a bell, mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of stuff that he's done voice work for.
0: Yes, he's done a ton of voice work.
2: Yeah, he, yeah he, I did see he, that. He hasn't stopped acting, but he has done just a, mainly he switched over to voice work a lot yeah
0: oh yeah yeah probably a lot more fun and less stressful yeah <laughs> coming from a guy who stands on one side of the microphone people don't have to see his face and he can edit as much as he wants so
2: right and now these messages
0: comic books have been around for almost a century So join us for moving panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, so then we got Diane Franklin, who we mentioned earlier as Monique. Diane Franklin is an iconic 80s American film actress known for her dark, curly hair and dialects. Beginning her acting career at the age of 10, Diane started with modeling, theater, commercials, and soap opera work. She then won the lead role of the dream girl, Karen, in the cult classic The Last American Virgin in 1982 and soon after played the daughter Patricia Montelli in Amityville to The Possession. Her most notable commercial success was playing the medieval princess, Babe Joanna, from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which I did not put that together watching the movie until I started doing the research maybe because I don't I'm not as big of a Bill and Ted fan but when I I saw I was like oh that is the same girl that's in both of those
2: because it's been so long since I've seen either of them next to each other yeah like this time when I put it in I was like hey that's (laughs) (laughs) but you know like you know when you don't watch either movie for so long you kind of forget they're in there yeah
0: yeah then we've got Curtis Armstrong as Charles Demar. So Risky Business came out two years before Better Off Dead, and Curtis Armstrong, who played Tom Cruise's best friend Miles in the film, made such a strong impression on Holland that he called Armstrong's agent and offered Armstrong the part of the jello-snorting Charles DeMar. He said, I hadn't seen a character like that in so many years, a second banana character that stole the movie, Holland told Movie Phone about Armstrong's role in Risky Business. He said, I was like, God, if I could have a cool dude like that playing Charles DeMar, my movie will work. Armstrong also starred in one crazy summer and how I got into college and provided voices for the savage created animated show. Eek the cat.
2: Um, well, clearly there's one other role that, Curtis Armstrong is way more known for.
0: Of course, he's Booger from ridge of the Nerds.
2: Yeah, and so it's it's hard to imagine somebody looking at Curtis Armstrong and going, "That's a cool guy. I want." (laughs) Like I just I think of him as true. This is true. He's Booger from Revenge of the Nerds or Charles Dumars. I mean, that's I mean, yeah. For me, it's either one, but I mean, I don't.
0: But does he really ever play? Well. When Crazy Summer, he plays a different character. I would say that he's pretty much the same character in this Risky Business and in Revenge of the Nerds. And then... But it's been then, a long time since it's all Risky Business, so I, I, it, I, I may not...
2: I, may I not don't remember like I've really. actually ever seen Risky Business. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, it's so... I mean, whenever I see him, the first thing, I think, is probably Booger, and then I immediately switch it to, like, Better Off Dead. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, a couple of years ago, when he did that, like beat the nerds or revenge, whatever the yeah, yeah, I know,
0: yeah, I know what you're talking about. about. Yeah,
2: him and him and the other guy from Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, that's what I yeah you know, I think of him as that. Like I don't I, like the word Curtis Armstrong and cool <laughs> don't I only mean, maybe, go together. Maybe in my world it is because you know I'm <laughs> I'm a nerd myself. But right,
0: know, right, me too. All right, so then we have Amanda Weiss as Beth Truss. Amanda found acting work at a young age in commercials before landing a guest starring role on one of my favorite TV shows in the early 80s, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then she got a recurring role on When the Whistle Blows in 1980. I I, I love this. She won a Best Young Artist Award for her work in the ABC after-school special, She Drinks a Little, from 1981. (laughs) (laughs)
2: The magnificence Of the after school specials Is something that I think is completely Lost on today's generation
0: It's completely lost on today's generation
2: Um, I wish they would do like Like Netflix or Hulu Or somebody would pick up a bunch of the old ones And then show them Because it's so hard to imagine How Amazingly cheesy they were But how earnest they were At trying to teach us um, Oh yeah You know, important lessons. Mm -hmm. Like she drinks a little, which I'm guessing meant that she had a scene where, like, she was blitz blotto drunk. I gotta gotta
0: be. I just think that's like one of the greatest titles ever. ABC After School Specials: Colon She Drinks a Little. I just (laughs) think that's 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 perfect. That's perfect.
2: Because they they don't do the special episodes anymore on sitcom. No, no. Nobody could bring it home like Kurt Cameron could. You know.
0: On a very special episode of Growing Pains, Mike has a zit. Uh, So, yeah. All right, moving on. (laughs) But I agree. I would. Man, they should. They should just release a box set of all the ABC after-school specials.
2: I mean, it would be probably so hard to watch them, but at the same time, so much fun.
0: Just for nostalgic reasons only, just to have them.
2: Man, I mean, it with, might be for you to sit down with your kids and make them watch them and have them. go. I was gonna say,
0: yeah, that should be that re- should be required for every parent to, to every Gen X parent should cause their children or force their children to watch at least at least five pick pick just pick five five after school specials for them to watch.
2: Oh man!
0: And at the top of my list is She Drinks a Little from nineteen
2: eighty
0: one. Oh. oh okay, this is my favorite part of the podcast so far. Uh so anyway, back to Amanda. So she went on to be featured in movies such as Fast Times at Ridgemont High in 82. Of course, she was the first kill of freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. She was also in Silverado in 85. She's worked extensively in television with recurring roles on Cheers, St. Elsewhere, Cagney and Lacey, Highlander, and more recently in episodes of CSI. Dexter, Murder in the First, and All Rise. I knew she looked familiar, but I did not put it together that she was the same girl from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street until I read the blurb, and I was like, "Oh man!" Of course, she died yep. so early in the movie. You don't, you know, she doesn't. She's not the tip, the the main character, you know, Nancy LangenCamp, uh, right? But she was the first. She was Freddie's first kill.
2: Right. Well, that's something to hang your hat on. Yep. Now, now, I mean, I don't know if this is a debate you want to get into, but Beth or Monique, you know, personally, I know where I'm going.
0: I will say I this is and this is I'm going to be very transparent and say I am I am probably the most like Lane. And this is probably why I relate to the movie, because I would have pined for Beth and would have not have realized that Monique was even interested in me. In high school, she would have been like my best friend that hung out with me and was too scared to ask me out. And I was too scared to ask her out. And that was me in high school.
2: I'd like to think that I was uh, smarter in high school, but I wasn't. wasn't. (laughs) Um, So I probably wouldn't have got it either. Yeah. Um, But I I mean, like if I was like, if both of them presented themselves. Yeah. I think I easily would have headed over towards the Monique side of things. Not ne- yeah. not because of the whole French accent. Just she seemed, yeah. Like I'm not necessarily into blondes, but you know. oh yeah,
0: yeah, I got you. The interesting thing about Beth is they don't really make her. He, Steve doesn't really make her out to be a terrible person. Besides, just superficial that you know right. she's dating the the. But she's not mean. She's not what. And what would be a today's typical like teen movie? She would have to be. You know, all attitude and thinking she's better than everybody else, and like the whole uh, elitist type right. of person. And I don't see Beth that way, which I think, you know, is good. But Monique is definitely the the more pure-hearted of the two.
2: Right, but you know, I'm I'm sure I would. I mean, you know, like I said, I remember myself in high school. I was an idiot back then. So
0: <laughs> we all were.
2: <laughs> I mean, well, I'm probably not much smarter now, but you know.
0: Right. Right. I I probably probably the same. Probably the same. All right. So then we've got Aaron Dozier as Roy Stalin, who is the, of course, the big bad or, you know, the Johnny Lawrence of the of the show. Let's just put it that way. Right. The, the jock that nobody likes. He actually insulted Savage Steve before he auditioned for the role of Roy Stalin. He said, when I came in, I didn't know who Savage Steve was at first. I looked at one guy and said, who's this chubby kid? Turns out he's the director holland remembers dozier interrupting him as he watched the dailies he said all of a sudden this pompous jerk comes in and says hey who's the fat surfer and i'm like wow who is this and they said uh that's the guy coming in for roy stalin and i said i like him you have the part you're perfect so (laughs) he was looking for a jerk and he got one
2: yeah do you have any other movies that he was in because i mean the face looks so familiar but i mean It could just be that he had that generic eighties jerk. Yes,
0: I think it was. I think he was more of an established skier, which was one of the reasons why he was, even though they still used a double for all the, most of the ski scenes. But I, I think I read somewhere that he was, he was more athletic. And so that was one of the reasons why they had him on there. So, okay. All right. So moving right along, we've got Demian Slade as Johnny Gasparini, who is the paper boy. <laughs> so he was only 12 years old when he won the role of real life paperboy Johnny Gasparini, who stalked Holland and demanded $2 from him. When Slade auditioned, he wore a leather jacket and looked serious. He said, I approached it as if I was a serial killer with no intention of making it funny. I brought in a headshot of me wearing a leather jacket and looking really menacing. He said during the car wash scene, he actually broke the windshield with his newspaper it was an accident, but I was pretty proud of myself, he told Facebook. They had to replace it. It's not easy to crack a windshield with a newspaper, especially when you're a little kid. So there goes back to thinking about what kind of newspapers are they using for this movie? Absolutely. So we already talked about Yuji Okamoto, a Japanese-American actor who was so excited to audition for the role of the Asian brother with a Howard Cosell voice that he studied every tape of Wide World of Sports he could get he could get his hands on so he could practice and perfect a believable Cosell impression. Knowing his character learned English exclusively through the sports show, he decided to add an Asian accent to the Cosell voice. The producers and director thought it was very funny he was given the role. However, in post-production, it was decided to bring in impressionist Rich Little to overdub his voice with Little's customary Cosell imitation without the Asian accent. Akimoto said they explained that it, that they wanted to make sure the audience understood the dialogue better, it was a little disappointing, but hey, it's their film, so I was kind of disappointed in that.
2: Yeah, when I read that earlier, I because I, I did read that one,
0: mm-hmm. I was
2: like, you know, release the Akimoto cut. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I never would have guessed that was overdubbed because he has kind of that kind of voice anyway. Uh yeah, really You know agree. what I'm saying? Like he, I mean, he, it's not like he's got like a high pitched voice. I mean, he has a, a pretty good. You know, baritone bass sounding voice So
2: Yeah, I, w- I would have liked to see How, how you know, he did it Because I mean, that that sounds funnier to me
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah Yeah, somebody's got to have the audio somewhere
2: not, not to say that it wasn't Pretty funny to have Just every time they get in the car These two Asian brothers pull up and want to race <laughs> <them>. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah Yeah, it was still funny Last cast member we'll talk about is Dan Schneider as Ricky Smith. Ricky, Ricky. <laughs> uh, Dan Schneider played Ricky Smith, the Monique obsessed mother loving crocheting neighbor and classmate of Lane from 1986 to 1991. He was known for playing Dennis Blunden on head of the class in 2003. Schneider started a production company Schneider's bakery and created the Nickelodeon shows. I Carly Zoe 101, Drake and Josh, and Game Shakers. He also co-created the Amanda Bynes, Jenny Garth, WB show, What I Like About You, and wrote for Kenan and Kel. Him and uh, Brian Robbins did pretty well for themselves from Head of the Class.
2: Yeah, he has done quite well for himself with that production company. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I thought it was great. I mean, I re- I think, I want to say that I had to have seen this after Head of the Class came out, which if it started in 86, that's, you know they're pre- I, you know, I definitely saw it on video, a good year or two after it came out. So cuz I remember seeing him in the movie and like oh that's the guy from head of the class and him being such a different character than he was cool. on head of the class. But uh one of my favorites <laughs> my two favorite scenes of his is when he starts dancing at the dance. <laughs> I love that. Just falls
1: flat on his yeah, face. He go
0: like he go I guess he's going to do the worm or whatever and just like dies on the floor. And then my, which is so the second scene is so, so after the dance when he's running after Monique and she's standing there shaking Lane's hand repeatedly and he's got the balloon and he like lets the balloon go or it slips and he turns and he kind of tries to jump to try to catch it. And then he's like, it's like this subtle, like, do I chase the balloon or go after her? I don't know what to do. And it's so (laughs) subtle, but I'm like, that is so funny. That is so funny.
2: oh. Yeah, no, that, the, yeah. And I just, I love, and I love when he, when he hits the floor, mm-hmm. everybody just, nobody goes to help him. They just all pack <laughs> the desk floor and start dancing.
0: And then they lay his jacket back over him that so he took <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so fun. So fun. All right. Anybody else in the cast you want to bring up that I might have yeah, missed? The there were, there the were, a, there were a few, but
2: yeah, I'm sure we'll get to a couple of them later. But the mom, yeah. um, Kim Darby.
0: Yes yeah
2: was all right have you seen true grit the um either version
0: i saw the remake i think okay. i've seen the original but i've seen the remake more 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 recently
2: the remake hayley steinfeld plays the little girl right she was the little girl in the original
0: oh for real okay i didn't know that yeah
2: so and and she's done a lot of other stuff yeah that she, was she's
0: definitely
2: major, yeah i, I remember major.
0: Yeah, I remember looking at her credits, and she she did a lot of, like, award-winning, serious, you know, movies, which I thought was interesting for her to be in this. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, she actually teaches acting classes now, I think.
2: No, I mean, she did. I mean, for given, given that most of her stuff was in the background, like, I definitely haven't seen it so many times, like, pay attention to some of the stuff that was happening in the background. Mm-hmm. And, like, some of the decisions that she was making behind the scenes.
0: Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. When, yeah.
2: Like, there's just so much subtle humor like you have to mm-hmm. watch this movie a couple times to oh yeah, oh yeah, that's what she's doing like
0: yep, definitely. anybody else you want to bring up
2: uh the uh Vincent Chevali, yeah the teacher yeah, yeah uh, I, I had him those... down I was trying I
0: was trying to scale it back, but but go for it
2: yeah, he's one of those that guys mm-hmm.
0: you know, Hey, it's that guy yeah, I've seen him like, I mean, he was in that, you know he was in that thing, you know the one with the the other guy.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, he's one of those like he has been in so much stuff. It's hard to say like it, we'd be here for another two hours just yeah. listing his yeah. his
1: credentials.
2: But I don't know if he was ever like a lead or or even no. a second, but he was just always there.
0: Uh, yeah, I think when I looked at his credits, like the two things that I remembered, him Mo- he was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, of course, as another teacher. And then he was he was in one of the Bond movies in the 80s as well. I don't remember if he was like just like one of the henchmen, or if he was. I don't think he was like the big bad, but he was, you know, one of the more sinister characters or whatever in the organization.
2: He was one of the one of Penguin's henchmen, henchmen in Batman Returns. Yes, yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, I did saw some that one too. Yep.
2: Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I, he has he has one of my favorite scenes in the movie. He's he's giving this speech which i'm sure is pure nonsense Mm -hmm. like i'm he talking about i don't even some math thing and the entire class is just enraptured which is clearly not real because right right subject that everybody would be asleep in Mm -hmm. and and they're just all like enraptured and they're like clapping after and then he's like hey lane can i ask beth out yeah and then a few scenes and then a few scenes later you see beth in the car with the with it yeah, exactly parking.
0: exactly yeah that was one of my favorite running jokes uh, of the movie even when it got absurd when barney rubble from the flintstones hey, lame yeah. you mean if I ask cleaning out yeah yeah, yeah. Any, any other you want to mention
2: I mean, like you said, we could go on. I mean, you got yeah. Taylor Negron, who has been in so much stuff. Yep, yeah. Who was just there to be like, hey, so I heard you uh, broke up with Beth. You mind if I ask her out? <laughs> yeah, he was
0: the mail the mailman bringing the little brother, the how to pick up trashy women book.
2: But yeah, that, I think that's all that I've got written down. Oh, I mean, there's Porky.
0: Yes, yep, yep. I, I had him down too, and I
2: took him off. Yeah. The, who yeah. I think was- maybe playing the exact same character. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Now I only watched it once to rewatch it. He is the same guy that like lane runs into the back of his truck twice. Yes. Okay.
2: And he's okay, also the
0: too. owner of the, the, the burger joint.
2: Right. And I like you, I like when he walks in, like lane's like, Oh God, I, cause he remembers that he's mm-hmm. run into him a couple times. But the guy doesn't say, like, he's just. He doesn't (laughs) remember. This kid's hit you twice. Right. And you can't remember who he is? You can't remember who he is. (laughs) Okay.
1: And now, these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads.
0: If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, He's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas?
1: Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special.
0: Plus classics shown every year.
1: You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best selling Christmas toys ever. Like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers.
0: And Cabbage Patch Kids.
1: Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap-Hap-Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, the other half of the battle.
0: And Chant with the Littles.
1: So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories.
2: Later, dudes. <laughs>
1: All right, well, let's talk about favorite scenes.
0: I don't know if you can even give an iconic scene for this movie. I think, uh, I think there's one iconic scene, but I'll save that one. But go for it. You go first. What do you got?
2: I mean, uh, iconic scenes. I obviously, the I want my two dollars. Mm-hmm. Dinner running away, like he, Crawling he off the, the plate. The, yeah, just crawls off the plate. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that like a like, I had to stop writing it because like I was just writing like <laughs> the entire movie. I was like, right. okay, it can't all be iconic scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know? like,
0: <laughs> I think the most, at least the, the most iconic scene or the scene that me and my friends, when we watched it. were like, so blown away by is the stop motion or the claymation hamburger, Eddie Van Halen, uh, you know, guitar singing song. Uh, which he said was like when they did the test audiences, that was the scene that scored the highest. But I think just because at that time that was so, you didn't put that in a movie. Like that was, it was so none heard of, but it was also so cool because back then claymation, I mean, we, you don't do it. It's all, it's all CGI now, but back then that was, that was pretty impressive stuff that you could do.
2: Yeah. I honestly like for me that's the one scene that like if I if I was gonna like recut the movie mm-hmm. I might cut out like I feel like it <laughs> kind of like, I mean I, I mean yeah. it's funny but yeah. like it just it just it feels like there's just this random music video in oh the yeah 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 you know? yeah
0: as most 80s yeah. movies have just a random yeah. music video I mean that's Rocky 4 is 60% music videos
2: yeah well, and then you know, the musical interlude when you had uh what was her name? E. G. Daly or whatever. Yeah. Or oh yeah, yeah. Just yeah. randomly singing the, the song the title, uh, the title song title for the movie the title of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But,
0: a little too on the nose.
2: Yeah, that that was something that was straight out of the eighties. The whole mm-hmm. like musical not as, they didn't do a musical montage like a lot of eighties movies no. did. But, almost,
0: yeah. almost. When they're when they're putting When they're working on the car, you get a little bit of the montage, but it's not quite as long as some others.
2: And I don't, I don't remember if it was set to music or not now, quite honestly. There was, yeah,
0: there was a song. It was more of the love, you know, the love theme song. Every 80s
2: movie has, you know,
0: the love, the love theme from Better Off Dead.
2: Now, I, I, in in high school for me, I was not real interested in, in, in being involved with a lot of stuff. So when I did go to high school events. I just remember there being like a DJ. Who just pressed play. I don't remember <laughs> there ever being a real band.
0: I have never had a real band. At any uh, any high school. Or even middle school. Dances. I've, and I've so, only seen it in the movies. Even though. Yeah. And I don't think this has been brought up on the podcast. So Ron will be very happy to know this. But Ron's mother-in-law. The Commodores played at her. Senior prom before they were okay. the Commodores.
2: That would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. It's just I was just thinking. Huh. I don't remember there ever being a real band at any other one, but I didn't go to very many either. So you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. The ones I went to, I've I've quickly forgotten. But I I pretty much always remember a DJ. I never saw a live band. Or I will say this: if there was a live band, they were so terrible. I don't want to remember
2: them. <laughs> um, okay, I'm looking over my notes here. There is one scene that is is one of my. It's not iconic, but I guess we're also into favorite scenes. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, it's so real because it happens even now. Like you just you you flip on the radio and you're like, I don't want to hear that song. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. like just there's something you, you know, and like every song is just like I don't like I just I don't want to deal with that subject right now. Exactly, okay. exactly. And he just rips the radio out and throws. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yep. That is a great scene. That is one of my favorite, you know, parts of the movie too. I should have wrote down what all the song titles were because they're really funny.
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, I've been there where you're just like, mm-hmm. you don't want to hear a breakup song or a, or I'm in love song. And, and, you know, that's all you hear on the, you're like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, finally, REM, everybody hurts. That's the one I want to hear. <laughs> not, not right, right, not, not the, the 30 other songs it took me to get here.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's hard to think about a favorite scene for me, but we've talked a lot about the scenes. Like the, of course the Paperboy scenes are great. The one, like I love the transition after he's had that moment with Monique at the dance. And it's like the, still the, the, the little love theme music playing. And then he walks and it gets dark and you see the, the paper boys kind of in the distance <laughs> in the back in the park. And I'm like, the that's just, yeah, that's off. just fantastic. Yeah. Um, um. Of course, the little brother and, you know, creating the ray gun and then the, you know, yeah, all the women in his room. And then he's building, you know, the space shuttle, build your own space shuttle from home kit. Uh, His little brother never says a word the whole movie, uh, which which is great.
2: I did write. I wonder if that was a script choice or an editing choice.
0: To have him not talk.
2: Yeah if it was a script choice it's brilliant And they hired mm-hmm. a kid who could pull it off right? But that's why I wonder if like They were like oh well When we did let him utter a few lines They didn't really work so let's just <laughs> cut that out Because <laughs> I mean it made Badger so much Funnier because yeah, he was No so yeah. more you know
0: How <laughs> well, Only well yeah I would say going by One Crazy Summer Because the younger sister doesn't talk In One Crazy Summer even though she's more of a character in that one. So I'm like, either it was a choice and he just duplicated it both. Or like you said, it was an editing. It it came out of editing and they're like, well, that worked really well. We'll just do the same thing for the other movie. Um, But yeah, or maybe that's just, that's just a character he wants. He wants a silent character in his movies.
2: There, there was, there's one scene that I really enjoyed now. Uh, Well, I mean, I I thought it was funny at the time. But for different reasons, because I understand the joke now where I didn't when I first saw the movie. Okay. Um, so Lane and Charles Damar are standing on the top of the mountain. And Lane <laughs> is debating whether or not he should go down and not go down. And and Charles is like, hold on. This is pure snow. Right, right. The value of this mountain? Yeah. Like, I mean, at the time I was like, well, that's funny. Like, why would people want to buy? Oh, uh, and now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah. okay, well, I was really sheltered as a kid because I didn't right. get that. Thing. Right. But now I get it.
0: <laughs> I understand that reference now. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my One of my other favorite lines, which I've said before to other people, is like, I don't know how to do this. What you do is you go down there really, really <laughs> fast. And when something's in your way, turn. <laughs> it just
2: just and then and then later when she says the exact same thing to him right 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 oh okay
0: yeah like that's you want to know how to ski that's it just go down go down really really fast some things in your winter now i will say now have you been snow skiing before i know we about we didn't have a snow ski team in our high school I went
2: in in high late high school my youth group took a, a ski trip mm-hmm. and we because we i mean i went to high school in atlanta So I think we drove up to some, like, really North Georgia, maybe even in the lower Tennessee, like the Chattanooga area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I made it onto the Bunny Hill, and I managed to uh, twist my ankle on the Bunny Hill, even in uh, those highly protective plastic (laughs) boots. So I was just like, I'm good. I never need to do this again. Right, (laughs) right. So now that I live in Wisconsin, where there is a ski hill, 10 minutes from my house, they make Mm -hmm. their own snow. I've driven by it, but I will never go there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. I went skiing the first time we lived in we lived in Maryland and youth group went on a ski trip. And I think it was I don't know if it was still in Maryland or if it was in Virginia. We went to or it might have been West Virginia. I don't remember. Uh that was my what fir- what? that that was my first time snow skiing. And there it was man made snow. Cause it was too warm. It was too late in the season, but I I'd had to do like the little course to learn. And then my friend, uh Derek deal for are Derek, thanks for the support. Um, but Derek was like the daredevil. And so he wanted to right, he wanted to find all the black diamond slopes and go down those. Like you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. But then we went, but then when I moved to Atlanta, our youth group there, we would go on a ski trip every year. Um, and we went to North Carolina and there was, uh, in the, like the smoke, not the smoky mountains, but the mountains of North Carolina, like Tennessee, North Carolina, that end. And, uh, got actually got to snow on real snow there one year when it snowed while we were there, but they would take a trip to Colorado, like the older adults would go to Colorado once a year and do the, what they called real snow skiing, which I've never done, which of course that's more we see in the movie. Cause the snow yeah. skiing I knew was just, we, it wasn't that back and forth, you know, kind of side to side it was just you go down as fast as you can and then turn uh which is you know the training works yeah that's what that's how i skied
2: yeah there's a lot more skiing in the area of the country i live in now than i Mm -hmm. ever was before and i want less to do with it now than i did back then
0: (laughs) i can't imagine doing it now like i would love to be like i would like to go like to the chalet you know and see the mountains and see people doing it. But I don't, I do not want to get on a, on a ski. I don't want to go on a ski, li- a ski lift at all.
2: I've had three knee surgeries, so I'm not about to go put myself yeah. out. On, yeah. You know? That's,
0: that's, that's <laughs> wisdom on your so, end. Yeah.
2: I found, I found ways to injure myself. I don't need to add new fun ones. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the, some trivia and then we'll start wrapping this up. But uh, speaking of ski resort resorts in the original script, the film was actually set at a ski resort, but the budget was so low, They the producers actually said, can you make the story about a guy driving to a ski place? <laughs> but he said uh, after they got all the budget worked out, they could only afford one week of skiing at Snowbird in Utah. So they had to do all of the snow scenes in
2: one week. Right, I think it made the movie work better. So yeah. maybe some, sometimes having a lower budget actually makes you oh, yeah. make a better movie.
0: Yeah. You have to be more creative when you have more limitations, for sure. So I'm sure you've read this. I think everybody's read this when you talk about this movie. But it's been widely reported that Cusack basically disowned the movie as soon as he saw it, which was the night before he was begin filming the follow up comedy One Crazy Summer. Though Cusack had helped Holland edit the movie, the film star walked out of the screening 20 minutes into it. The next morning, Cusack basically walked up to Holland and said, you know, you tricked me better off. dead was the worst thing I've ever seen. I will never trust you as a director ever again. So don't speak to me. Holland said he was just really upset and he was like, what happened? What's wrong? And he just said that and Cusack just told him basically Holland sucked and it was the worst thing he'd ever, ever seen and that he had used him and made a fool out of him and all this other crazy stuff. Cusack's left-field response made Holland not want to do One Crazy Summer anymore, which some people say affected why it didn't do as well. In the past few years, though, Cusack went on the Nerdist podcast and explained how he didn't exactly hate the movie. He said it was one of those things where I made it and I didn't really have a feel for it, but it was fine. It was good. But what happens is that you have to go to your press tour and they want to talk to you about The Sure Thing or that movie instead of what you were there to talk about. So it wasn't that I hated the movie or hated anything. I just didn't want to keep talking about it. He said he felt horrible about how the cast and crew thought he disliked the movie. He finished by saying, I don't have anything against it. I mean, I love when he says it's a shame to throw away a perfectly good white boy. As Nicholas said, in one of his favorite lines. I feel bad. The director thinks I have something against it. Some people say another indicator that Cusack has warmed to his uh, role in Better Off Dead is in a scene in 2010's Hot Tub Time Machine. A kid in the background can be heard yelling. I want my $2 to Cusack.
2: I love Hot Tub Time Machine in a way that's probably not uh, good because it's not a good movie. (laughs) It's it's, not.
0: It's funny, though.
2: It's so funny. Um, Yeah, yeah, I read that and I was like, I don't see what what John Cusack saw. Like, I don't understand why he had this, you know, like I hate it. Like, I Mm -hmm. walked out, but also we weren't there making it. So we don't know what got cut.
0: Yeah, exactly. yeah. And, and I think I, I that's one account. And I think another account, he went a little more detail and he was saying it wasn't so much the content that bothered him. It was he would have shot things differently. He thought the lighting was going to be different. He thought, you know, it was, you know, he kind of painted it was more of how the film was shot, not necessarily the content. But I'm like, dude, you read the script. You were in the movie. It's not like it's totally different. Yeah. And the other thing yeah. is. You watch 20 minutes of an hour and 45 minutes. You can't say you hate it. You didn't even see the whole thing. So
2: you saw one part of it. And on top of that, you're a 19, 20 year old kid. Where do you get off?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he did say that. He was like, he's like, and I was, you know, it's like, one thing he did say was he was still a kid and he was, you know, so he had done Sure Thing, which became a pretty big hit, this, which didn't do as well. And he was about to do one crazy summer. He had also been in Stand By Me. He was starting to get some success and was starting to be kind of, you know, touted as being the next, you know, leading man kind of a thing. So he probably got see he, he was a little, little big headed about it.
2: And had he I don't remember the order of things, had he done say anything yet?
0: No, that was 89. OK.
2: okay all right. So, yeah, I mean, because clearly he went on to become a massive superstar.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: But still, like it's kind of like man, like where where do you get off? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, that's one thing that I don't really like about when an actor will come out and say like I hated this movie or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, somebody loves that. Like I love Better Off Dead. So to find out that like John Cusack, at, at least like knowing that he's wor- come back around on it. Yeah, yeah. But like it's like man, but I love it's one of my favorite John. It's probably top it's easily top five favorite john cusack movies of all time right right um so to find out like he's like well, i hate it <laughs> like but why <laughs> like i love it so much
0: yeah 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 i mean what's once again chalk it up you like I said he was 19 he was probably only 20 or 21 when by the time because they, they did him. i think he was filming one crazy summer before better off dead actually released so because the studio thought one, the studio thought that Better Off Dead was going to be a bigger hit than it was because the test audiences were all really, really positive. So they were already they had already greenlit One Crazy Summer, which he didn't have as much time to write, but they were already filming that. So which is why another thing is like, how did you only see the finished product when you're already making the next movie? But obviously it had not been released yet. So that was his first chance actually getting to get to see it. Yeah. All right. Well, moving along. uh, I thought this was cool. We kind of we somewhat kind of mentioned this earlier, but uh, when Beth shows up at the high school dance, the person standing behind her is wearing a sweater, extremely familiar to Freddy Krueger's. That's because she played Krueger's first victim in A Nightmare on Elm Street.
2: I I missed that altogether. I'll I'll have to watch it again.
0: Got to go back and see it. Uh, One of my (laughs) one of my favorite little cameos, as we mentioned before, during the Christmas presents scene at Lane's house, we see a large toy robot. It's Tweaky from the TV show, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, which, of course, is a nod because uh, uh, Diane Franklin was in early episodes of that movie. I mean, of the TV yeah. show. So,
2: Oh, speaking of the Christmas, now that you, you bring that up, I yeah. loved the aardvark thing. Like the Aardvark outfit that she made him. Oh, wear. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, but everyone is going to be wearing them. And he's like, sure, everyone. And they walk yeah. outside. And the and neighbor, the neighbor has ready. it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yep. I love that too. Oh, gosh. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, we all think that Marvel is the king of the end credits, even though we know Ferris Bueller did it the best. But if you stay to the credits of this movie, the last line reads, the movie's over. You can go home now. Which we can actually say this came out a a year before Ferris Bueller. So who mm. who, did, who did it first? Did uh did John Hughes see Better Off Dead and say, "Hey, I think I just figured out how to end Ferris Bueller."
2: That is true. Uh, yeah, you uh, you do make that. You do wonder. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: So all right, we'll hit these few deleted and omitted scenes that I thought were pretty pretty cool. So at the first test screening, the movie was about five or ten minutes longer. So Holland says he had a, he cut a handful of scenes. One of them he lost was Lane plays the saxophone in the script. The only song he could play was the really sad theme song for the show flipper. So that's what he played all the time. So Holland had him in music class and the teacher had noticed that he wasn't playing the song. They were all playing. He was playing the theme song to flipper. So everybody looks at him like he's an idiot, but then you cut to somebody who's clapping. And then when the the camera pans and it's actually a seal, He's playing these horns and the seal is the one that likes it. Holland said it was kind of funny, but obviously the audience was like, is this real or not? I just don't get this movie. He said the weirdest one was a cut scene involving Lane's mom. Lane at some point talks to Monique and says, my mom got in this really weird cult and she's all better now or something. But then I dissolved to her in an airport and she was in the cult of Gumby. She's wearing a Gumby suit, handing out leaflets. It was really <laughs> stupid. And obviously the audience didn't like that either.
2: <laughs> I kind of, I, I wish they'd put that one back in. Yeah.
0: But. See, those kind of scenes give me like the the Zucker Brothers, the airplane, you know, those that type yeah. of humor. Which this kind of flirts with that humor a little bit in a lot of the scenes.
2: Right. So, which is like, now that you say, you know, he meant it to be more of a parody on the high school movie, like, it takes yeah. it to a whole other level for me. Yeah, yeah. That did not really pick up on the fact that it was a parody, but, I mean, obviously, there's plenty of stuff that I, you know, but with that kind of stuff, I think it would have been way clearer that it was a parody, and I think, yeah, I don't know, I mean, you know, you know yeah, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't work, I don't know, clearly, yeah. the test audiences didn't like it, but yeah, they yeah. also thought it was going to be a hit, so...
0: So yeah, so one scene, one scene he said he, he feels good about losing. He said he had Charles DeMar ask Lane if he'd mind if he took out Beth, but the audiences hated it. They said he needs a friend that stands by him. He said, I think they were right on that one for sure. That would really suck if he's really got nobody. Like even if his best friend, uh, is going to try to take, uh, try to ask Beth out so
2: Yeah, but I kept waiting for it, like you know. <laughs> so, I, mean, I get it. I mean, he—they're right. I mean, it does, you know, keep yeah. Charles on the on the right side of things. But yeah, yeah, I get, just because every even Barney roble was like, "Hey, can I ask that <laughs> out?"
0: Right, right. Um, but yeah, but going back to like the parody, like one thing he said that he, which I didn't ha- have it down here, but he said even the ending of the uh, the ski race, he said. He wanted it to. He said every, you know, sports movie, the underdog is always going to win. And he said he in the original edit, he didn't have Lane win. Like they ended in a tie. He wanted to be like Rocky two, where Rocky and Apollo knock each other out. So there is no real winner. It's you know they're because he's as good as the other guy. He still wins. He said, but the test audiences hated it. They wanted to make they wanted Lane to win at the end. So he changed it. For Lane to be the winner,
2: you know, because I the at least the version of DVD that I have doesn't have any of the deleted scenes. I don't no, even know if they're not even they've incredible. never been
0: released. Nope.
2: Like it's, I mean, the DVD I have is, is pretty bare bones. Yeah. Like I don't like it barely yeah. even has a menu. So
0: like, I, and it'll be in the show notes, but like a book of like a lot of these, um, a lot of the notes because there was nothing on Wikipedia about the making of the movie most of the making I've got from an interview that entertainment weekly did with savage Steve. And he was like, I don't know who owns the rights to this movie anymore. He said, no one's ever asked me to do a commentary. No one's ever asked me to come and like talk about the movie. So entertainment weekly actually went and got, they they called it the deleted scenes that should have been, or the commentary that should have been. So all, a lot of this is him telling about the movie because no one's ever asked him to do anything for the special features.
2: Kind of surprising. Yeah. I mean, I admit, and, it is kind of a cold head. So yeah.
0: And I know cause you own it, but I couldn't stream this anywhere. Like this is not streamable on any format.
2: Which is why I had to go into my basement and get it. yeah, I exactly. Tried, you tried to stream tried it too. To, I tried to stream it. Cause I was like, yeah, I could just, I mean, it's not like the basement's far away. I mean, it's literally <laughs> just down the stairs, but, <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, you know, but I, I bought it on DVD. I don't know how many years ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was probably one of those. I was just buying DVDs and I was like, I mean, I wanted it anyway, but I probably saw it like $5 or it was on sale. You know, I was like, Oh yeah. I love this movie. Gotta have it. Yeah.
0: Amazon's got the Blu-ray for like 13 bucks. So I'm sure I'll pick it up. All right. Box office. uh, Though I don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Better off dead was given a limited release on August 23rd, 1985. Showing on only 13 theaters, it still debuted within the top 20, but it couldn't take over Back to the Future, Teen Wolf, or Pee Wee's Big Adventure that were in the top three spots. When it was given a wider release on October 11th, it snatched the seventh spot on the box office, but still trailed behind Back to the Future, it only, which had only fallen to number five. Although Better Off Dead had a budget of $3 million and grossed $10.3 million at the box office, the studio still considered it a failure. It's kind of disappointing uh critical reception rotten tomatoes has it at 76 percent on the tomato meter with an 87 percent audience score imdb's got it 7.2 out of 10 with a 51 on metacritic those doggone metacritics
2: cheese oh, they, they hate everything <laughs>
0: they do i don't i was like every time and it's never higher than like 60 like no matter how great the movie is it's like it's always in the 50s for some reason so, uh, but yeah, audience, I think 87 audience score is pretty, pretty safe. Pretty accurate. Pretty yeah. Accurate. It, it's got its flaws, but it's still a fun one. Definitely nostalgic.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily hold up as well as some other 80s movies. No. Um, I mean, and you can definitely tell like it's, it's, it's pretty 80s. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. 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 It's unapologetically it's, 80s. In, in a good yeah. way, I think. Right. And and it's it's a true cult classics because it wasn't it doesn't have that mainstream feel. Like it doesn't have that John Hughes polish studio feel to it. It feels like a what we would consider an independent movie now. It feels like the 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 not to say that John John Hughes was a visionary director and it was his he was a writer director, but it, it's still Hughes still had like a lot of studio help. I think with this one, it's still a little bit more raw, uh, which, and you kind of think about it, this came out the same year as Breakfast Club. So him and Hughes were kind of starting at the same time.
2: Right. Um, I mean, you can definitely see that the the they were, they didn't necessarily influence each other, but they were definitely drawing from the same influences. Oh
0: yeah, for sure. For sure.
2: You know, they definitely, Drew off of Fast Times at Regimont High with I mean you can see both oh, yeah. of those both of those movies definitely come from that tree. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. All
0: right. One last little nugget. Uh Holland said video stores completely saved, better off dead. It was always out in any blockbuster video I walked into. And then I talked to the guys who worked there and they were like, you know, people rent it and they just don't bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it's that kind of movie. That would be the kind of movie where, you know, a group of friends get it and they're like, I'm just going to keep it. They can just charge my parents. I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: All
0: right, man. Anything else you want to add to this episode?
2: Um, I'm real sorry. Your mom blew up. But...
0: <laughs> Another great line. Yep.
2: Um, no, I mean we we've pretty much I mean I we could go for another hour or two just yeah. breaking down every scene of this movie because oh, there's yeah, so yeah. much so much going on. But you know, like like you said, it's unapologetically eighties, but I love it. I yeah. you know, like for all its flaws, for all its good stuff, like you know, it, it's it's a good watch. You yeah.
0: Know? Yeah. It's a good it's a good fun. Don't take it too seriously, just enjoy it for what it is, type of movie. Uh, for sure. So, all right, everybody, well, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to like subscribe. Do we subscribe? I don't know. I say that every week you subscribe to this podcast. You like, you follow one of those things, do what the kids Uh, on social media do.
2: (laughs) Whatever the, whatever podcast directory you're using, do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And tell four friends. Tell four friends about 80s flick flashback, and write us some reviews. I'm trying to get some more written reviews on Apple Podcast, and now you can rate us on Spotify. So, but thanks so much, Nicholas, for being a part. Always good to have you. What you got going on, podcast? I'm sorry, podcast. What you got going on with Pop Culture Roulette coming up?
2: Well, I'm coming up here um, with uh, with the Super Bowl coming up. We're gonna we're oh, gonna yeah. ta- we're gonna tackle advertising. Mm. Uh, It was going to be just one episode, but I started doing the research and we're breaking it into two episodes. We're going to do one just on Super Bowl ads. okay? And then we're going to do one where it's going to be the biggest bracket we've ever done. It's going to be the full 64 with a whole bunch of playing games. So it's probably actually going to be like (laughs) 70 or 80 uh, of just like ad icons i've got them broken yeah. down into brackets already i just have to figure out how to actually make it work
0: gotcha gotcha so
2: so february we got a we got some ad we're gonna we're gonna give a lot of free plugs
0: <laughs> very cool well, if you haven't listened to pop culture roulette yet definitely check it out it's a lot of fun nicholas and his friends are they're great to listen to and to hear their uh interactions and uh, quips is uh is very enjoyable
2: uh, I, I appreciate it so
0: sir all right everybody thanks for listening we'll see you guys next time i'm gonna go find she drinks a little on netflix <laughs> 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 thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s flick flashback podcast if you'd like to continue the conversation we have a few ways for you to do just that One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Hey, and while you're there, be sure to check out the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.